Amen. Well, good morning. I want to greet all of you today. and Thank you for uh, joining us here at Grace Baptist Church. I hope you're doing well on this uh, very beautiful Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to, uh, if you're visiting today, I know Pastor Dan uh, already greeted you, but let me just also welcome you and uh, thank you for joining us today. Let me also remind you that tonight we will be having our once a month Sunday night service. We'll be doing that on the second Sunday night of each month. And each Sunday night, we're going to be observing the Lord's Supper, and we also have some baptisms tonight and some other special things uh, this evening. So please be back with us tonight for our service at 6 o'clock, and uh, Lord willing, we'll have a wonderful service here tonight as well. We're going to begin with a word of prayer before we jump into Scripture uh, this morning and a couple of requests that you're probably aware of, and let me just remind you of Carolyn Thomas, continue to pray for her as she is healing uh, from her fall, and then also for Buddy Spencer. Uh, those of you that know Buddy, he has also uh, went back into the emergency room, uh, let's see, Thursday, Friday, and uh, so continue to pray for him as well and, uh, and for his, his family. Uh, his wife also has been ill, and so just pray for, for the Spencer. So let's pray together, and then we'll look into God's Word. <clears throat> Father, as we uh, begin our time around Scripture this morning, we just thank you for this opportunity to worship today, and I thank you for the truths that we just sang about, uh, particularly just singing about your grace and your mercy and your love for us, and we thank you for that. And as we begin today, as we turn our eyes toward your word, we are thinking of Carolyn today. We just pray for healing and strength on her body. Thank you that uh, she is doing well and getting better. We certainly pray for her continued recovery, and also for the Spencer family right now. We just lift Buddy up to you. And uh, we just pray for your mercy there and your grace to be upon them. Pray for the Rose family tomorrow as we celebrate Betty's life and remember her. And we just pray that you be glorified in our time together tomorrow as we uh, remember her life. We ask now your blessing on your word today. And uh, give me clarity of thought as we speak today and as we look into the truths of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how are you feeling this morning? What's going on in your mind today? In May of 19, actually 2018, May the 8th of 2018, I'll get the date right, Time Magazine published an article. In this article, it was reported, 2018 now, just a couple of years ago, it was reported that 40% of Americans are, were more anxious in May of 2018 than they were in May of 2017. For this article, the American Psychiatric Association conducted this poll. They talked to over 1,000 adults, and they asked them about their sources and levels of anxiety. They found that 39% of those that they studied were more anxious than they were at the same time the previous year, and 39% were equally anxious. Only 19% of those polled for that study said that they were less anxious than they were the previous year. Now, the spike in anxiety is perhaps not surprising to anyone, given that the fact that American Psychological Association research found that a significant number of Americans also considered themselves to live under tremendous stress. 
In fact, in 2017, 63% of Americans said that the future of the nation was a significant source of stress. 2017. 59% in 2017 felt that the United States of America was at its lowest point in history. In fact, they they put out an entire survey on stress in America. In August, unless you think things have gotten better, August 13th, 2020, U.S. News and World Report in their article quoting the CDC, said that the prevalence of anxiety was three times higher in 2020 than at the same time in 2019. Now, I find that surprising because 2020 has been a stress-free year. There's been nothing wacko that has happened in 2020. I got my hair cut on on Friday. You might be able to tell. I look much better, I'm sure. And the lady cutting my hair told me a a joke. I won't tell you the joke, but the punchline was this. We squeezed 10 years of catastrophe into 10 months. It's been a rough year. It's been a challenging year. This morning, I want to talk to you today and next week about anxiety, about being anxious being consumed with worry. I love preaching expositional messages because we always land exactly where we need to be each time. Where are you on the anxiety scale this morning? How are you feeling? In fact, I put together a list. This list isn't unique to me. I was just through my research and preparing for this morning. Just took a few different articles and kind of summarized areas of common sources of worry and stress. Think through if you have any of these. Stress from life, traffic jams, house projects. I've come to realize this. Owning a house is pretty much a full-time job. Spent five hours painting yesterday. Very exciting, fun, joyful. Stress at work. How many of you feel stress at work from deadlines, coworkers, bosses? Stress comes at us from our jobs. Maybe some of you looking around the room, we got a lot of young folks here in the first service today. Stress from school. Homework. How many of you are for a homework-free America? All the, all the kids said, yes. Grades. Teachers. And our teachers feel stress from parents and students. And putting together their... Um, their study plans. Maybe you have stress in personal relationships. Oh, Philip, the Church of Philippi had those. These two ladies, which we'll talk about them again this week, they were arguing and debating and fighting to the point that it was creating a division within the body of Christ. Wherever there is a relationship, there is bound to be stress. There's bound to be Problems. In fact, even within marriage, very often relationships can, can, can cause conflict. It can cause pressure. Sometimes we feel stress from financial pressures. How many of you are tired of paying your mortgage? Jonathan actually, I think, offered to start paying ours yesterday, didn't you? Praise God for that. He's welcome to do so. 
more, any of you are welcome to pay my mortgage too. That's totally fine. Actually, I guess you do, as you support me very graciously. As I think about that off the top of my head, you do pay my mortgage. Taxes, clothes for the kids, unexpected financial pressures come at us. Stress from emotional trauma, illness, death of a loved one, stress from your own illnesses, stress from feeling tired, exhausted, physically drained, stress from, are you ready for this one? Stress from the unpredictable nature of our world and world events. War, hurricanes, pandemics are a source of stress. So how are you doing on the stress scale so far? Any sources of anxiety in your life today? Any sources of stress in your life? Let me share one final one with you before we move on to our text. Stress from, are you ready? Political issues. You knew I was going to say that, didn't you? There's been a lot of angst leading up to this year's election. And if you're watching online or you are here in person today to our Democratic voters, I would like to say this. You're probably feeling pretty good this morning. You're feeling confident about the course of our country. You're excited, you're hopeful, you're relieved. But to those that are voted Democratic, I would say this, your source of confidence might be misguided. Your sense of security might be misguided. Your sense of joy might be resting in the wrong place. Mr. Joe Biden is no Messiah. Mr. Joe Biden is no Savior. To our Republican voters this morning, you're probably feeling pretty glum this morning. Discouraged, defeated, worried, and anxious. But might it be that you've lived with four years with your, wrongs, with your confidence in the wrong place too? Did you know that Donald Trump is no savior? Did you, did you know that Donald Trump is not the Messiah? Did you know that? I'll be bipartisan this morning and remind you that God sent his son to die on a cross for Republicans and Democrats. And that the source of hope for Republicans and Democrats rests in the Lord Jesus Christ, regardless of who sits in the Oval Office. Oh, I got election-breaking news for you this morning, actually. You might not have heard this. Did you know that God didn't need to get 270 electoral college votes to maintain his position on the throne of heaven? Did you know that? Did you know that God's victory was never in doubt? Never in question. Losing his throne was never even a possibility. In fact... The presidential count in Pennsylvania had no impact on God's sovereignty. Had no impact on his reigning and ruling over this world. Joe Biden's victory yesterday did not come as a surprise to our holy, righteous, sovereign God. In fact, God isn't wringing his hands this morning like too many Christians are. What are we going to do? I don't know about you. I'm just going to keep serving Christ. I don't know what you're going to do. Because 
God didn't lose an ounce of sleep over Joe Biden winning the presidency. You see, stress comes at us from many different angles. And very often, stress is actually compounded by our reaction to the world. And if, and if I were to be honest this morning, it seems that by the reaction by some believers, even prior to the election, we'll get into this a little bit, that our comments and thoughts seem to indicate that we were putting a lot of hope in Mr. Donald Trump. And yet the reality is the God of this world is still on his throne. Which brings me to Philippians chapter 4. Because Paul is going to talk to us about how we live in a stressful world. How we live in a world that is so prone to producing anxiety in us. Because if we're honest, there's a lot to worry about. There's a lot to stress over. There's a lot to give thought to. There's a lot to contemplate. And yet, we're going to look at this morning, we're only going to look at verses 4 and 5. But I want you to look at and remember what Paul says in the very beginning of verse 6. Because this week, we are going to look backwards at verses 4 and 5. And then next week, we'll look forward at what comes after this text. And notice what Paul says. He says, do not be anxious about anything. Even if the person in the White House is not who you voted for. Be anxious for nothing. Be worried about absolutely, categorically nothing. Do not be anxious. Do not be consumed with anxiety. When you think through the statistics that I read to you by CDC, American Psychiatric Association, Time Magazine, U.S. News and World Report, and just... Just, just walking down the street and talking to people, it is evident that anxiety is a very real issue in our country. And there's all kinds of reasons for that, I, I suppose. But one of the things I was thinking about yesterday while I was painting for five hours is that I was thinking about all the things that I'm thankful I don't worry about. I'm thankful I drive really old cars. I don't care if they get hit. It doesn't matter. I don't worry about it. This lady cutting my hair on Friday. Ooh, did I mess it up? I don't care. It'll grow back. I give zero thought to what my hair looks like. That you may, it may, I may prove that to you most weeks. I don't care. I don't worry about it. But we worry about things that are inconsequential. We allow ourselves to get anxious and worked up and angry and bitter. And we get worried. And it's as if God just isn't even worried about this world anymore. At least that's how we act. And so Paul, in the midst of this conversation about, by the way, don't lose the context of this, these two ladies that can't get along. Let's not forget these two ladies. We'll talk about them again. In the midst of their division and the fact that they're causing now conflict within the body, Paul says in verse 4, and by the way, to the kids in the room, I, I had a 
4 a.m. change on the message this morning, okay? So your, your notes, Ms. Ms. Amber did a great job putting these together, but it says two habits that will help me fight from anxiety. It's going to be two characteristics that are going to help you fight anxiety, okay? So I changed it early this morning, um, but we'll look, at, we'll look at these things, and for the kids, I'll try to be very, very clear. I made myself a note to make sure I give these to you. Look at verse 4. We'll start with verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Going back to verse 6. Be anxious about nothing. How do I do that? Well, the first way to do that, the first characteristic here is to follow this first commandment that Paul gives us, and that is to be filled with rejoicing. How many of you woke up today rejoicing in the Lord? Or how many of you woke up worried, anxious, mad, irritated, frustrated about the election yesterday? How many of you lost sleep? over the election? How many of you lost sight of the fact that God has commanded you that in spite of your circumstances, you as a believer in Christ are commanded to live a life of rejoicing? By the way, this is like the last sentence in the sermon, but I feel like I should say it here. We spend a lot of time worrying about what is God's will for my life, and we get anxious and worried and stressed about that too. Here's one. God's will for your life is that you rejoice. It's a commandment. Rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, this commandment is given in the middle of a conflict between these two ladies that is destroying the body of Christ and it was destroying the joy that the people of Philippi were experiencing. This ongoing conflict between Iodia and Syntyche were causing division. And as Paul is sitting in a prison cell in Rome, he is writing back to this church at Philippi, talking about bringing resolutions to this conflict. And in the midst of this conflict, he commands them to live a life of rejoicing, to be filled with joy. And Paul certainly doesn't know when he writes this, his outcome of his trial that is, that is pending. And we have to take these circumstances of life and we have to surrender them to the Lord and live a life of rejoicing and not be consumed with this why me mentality. In fact, the kind of joy here that Paul is referencing is a joy that is in the Lord. Notice those, those couple of words, I am rejoicing in the Lord. It doesn't mean I like all my circumstances or prefer all my circumstances or that I am comfortable in all my circumstances, it means that all things may not be good from my perspective. All things may not feel good from my perspective, but God is working all things together for my good, regardless of my perception, regardless of how they feel. And so because the Holy Spirit was living in their lives, and if you're a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is living in your life, you have reason to rejoice, reason to have joy, regardless of your circumstances. In tonight's sermon, we're actually going to take this a little bit further, and we're going to talk about fear. Because there's a lot of fear in our world today, too, that also feeds anxiety and feeds the stress. 
Psalm 97, verses 11, 12, 11 and 12 came to my mind. Light is sown for the righteous and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name, regardless of your circumstances. You see, if you only experience joy on your best days when things go your way, then you don't experience true joy. You're experiencing a fleeting moment of flippant joy. The kind of joy that Paul is talking about, the rejoicing that Paul is referencing, is only found in Christ. It's not the kind of joy that is given in a momentary period of time or a momentary uh, second in time, these circumstances of life that often dictate how we feel. The kind of joy that Paul is talking about is available to all believers, even when facing the most cruelest of circumstances, that the joy in the Lord that we can experience can be ours regardless of our circumstances. You see, we often think, in my mind, about joy as if it is an optional activity for Christians. It's almost like that some believers, it's kind of icing on the cake for some. For some believers, they can't experience this kind of joy. And yet Paul, if he gives, gives us this commandment, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, this commandment is for every believer. Not just for Republicans, not just for Democrats, not just for Americans, not just for the French, not just for the English, not for just for the Spanish. It is for all believers. Rejoice in the Lord. We, we so often lose this joy. Why would Paul repeat himself, by the way? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Might it be that Paul understood us very well? That rejoicing is, is very difficult for many of us much of the time? It's kind of like Joshua being told over and over again, Joshua, be courageous. Why? Well, because Joshua was probably scared. If I was in Joshua's situation, I would have been scared. I mean, I told you guys this. I, see, my mistake was admitting this, like, back in June, May, when I told you from this pulpit that I would not complain about the hot summer months. Do you remember that? Maybe you forgot. Some of you are like, yeah, we remember. Folks, it's November and it's 80 degrees outside. I mean, come on. Where's the 50s? Where's the 40s? I'm sweltering here. I can't take it anymore. I have no reason to rejoice. It's too hot. If my joy is relative on the relative humidity, I'm in trouble. If your joy is resting on anything to do with this world, you're in trouble. I woke up today excited, happy to be awake, happy to be alive. You know why? Because my Savior is still ruling and reigning today. And I have every reason to rejoice. 
Even when life is hard, even when life is frustrating, even when life is challenging, even when it is difficult, we can choose joy because we have Christ. Now, the Apostle Paul, by the way, just very briefly, he chose to follow Christ in the book of Acts when God called him to ministry and God called him to be used in a very powerful way for his glory. And so we have to understand that the joy that Paul is talking about here is really for those that have put their faith in Christ. In other words, a true Christian, a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus is the only source of salvation. It's not through religion. It's not through any kind of ideology. I read an article yesterday. This is off the top of my head, so I might goof up the details a little bit, but it was written by a Satanist. And he said, you know what? He said, people misunderstand Satanism. It's not that we worship Satan. We just worship your right to do whatever you want to do and whatever feels good. We worship you just living life however you want because there is no God. You see, that is foolish. Scripture says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. That if there is a God and God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sin and for the sins of the Apostle Paul and for the sins of mankind, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If I have done that and have been adopted into the family of God, this is Adoption Awareness Month, And if I have been adopted into the family of God, I have an eternal reason to rejoice. Even if I take my last breath today. That the Apostle Paul understood this. So how about you? When you're feeling dark and lonely, do you still find joy in those times? Where are you finding joy and hope this morning? Where are you finding your reason to rejoice? I was flipping through the New Testament this morning, and, and I was drawn to Luke chapter 2. I was listening to Christmas music this morning. It's November. You're allowed to now. It's, it's permissible. My kids listen to it all the time. Luke chapter 2, I was reading through Luke this morning, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I did a quick perusal of the book of John, and John, Jesus says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Philippians 4, 7, which we'll get to next week. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And let me read one more, Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, the first characteristic you must have to battle against your anxiety is to be filled with rejoicing. Rejoicing cannot exist in an anxious heart. But Paul gives us a second characteristic. 
that helps us ward off anxiety, and that is to be filled with graciousness. Notice what he says in verse 5, another commandment. He says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Verse 4, Paul gives us a second commandment, the second imperative. Make known your gentle spirit or reasonableness to all men because the Lord is at hand. The King James translates the word as moderation. This comes from a tricky word. In fact, Margaret, who does our interpretation for the deaf, asked me this morning, how do I interpret this word? Oh, good luck. It's a tricky Greek word. Epikis is the word. It means suitable, equitable, fair, mild, gentle. The idea is that believers is to, are to demonstrate the kind of attitude that is one of gentleness. I will spare you this. But I went back through the historical translation of how this word has been handled in various translations. And there's about a hundred of them. I thought we'd just go through one at a time. Just kidding. We're not going to do that. This is a tricky Greek word. In fact, there is, it's such a rich Greek word that there's really no one English word that captures what this is talking about. And by the way, let's not lose sight of the immediate context. Judea and Syntyche needed to apply this to their lives. And so did those that were lining up on different sides of this discussion. This word can be translated as in English this way, sweet reasonableness, generous, goodwill, friendly, charity toward the faults of others, considerate. So I've, I've chosen for simplicity's sake the word graciousness. And this word graciousness here is used to describe an attitude of kindness. Listen, an attitude of kindness that was demonstrated when the expected or normal response was retaliation. In fact, during the time of the Apostle Paul, the Greeks used this Greek word, uh, apikos, in the context of yielding their rights and patiently bearing with insults and putting up with the faults of people. In other words, it did not retaliate an insult with an insult. It didn't get drawn into these conversations that were displeasing to God. He says, no, you are to rejoice, commandment, be filled with joy, and number two, be filled with graciousness. This commandment was given, by the way, notice that they were to be gracious to all people. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Everyone. That includes people with whom you disagree. That, that means, are you ready for this? People with whom you disagree politically. Let your graciousness be known to all people. Off the cuff here, my frustration with our current political environment is the fact that we can't have a reasonable conversation. That, That we have lost this ability to be gracious. 
And this call was given to this church at Philippi that they were to have a Christ-like character even to those who were outside of the church. Even, by the way, those that were persecuting the church. Even to those within the church, Utica and Syntyche, who were fighting and arguing, they were to be gracious to each other. It's shameful, folks. Shameful. How certain believers discuss matters on social media and other places during our political season is disgraceful. Should never be. We can disagree. We can share ideology. We can, dis- we can discuss things. But Paul says when we do that, it should be done in graciousness. Now, we don't have time. Time has gotten away from us. But I was going to go back. Actually, let's go there for just a moment. Turn back a couple of pages to uh, Philippians chapter 2. When Paul says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind, do not of mine, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So in our crude, bickering, bombastic, and abusive culture, we're called to be gracious. The braggadocious social media culture gives voice even to the most unreasonable of people. And rather than being drugged into the quagmire of ridiculousness, avoid the temptation altogether. And if you do get sucked into the conversation, at least do so with grace. In fact, Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 9, when he said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Proverbs 15, verses 1 and 2, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. You see, whenever we're facing strife, Judea, Syntyche, be gracious. Harsh words always solicit a negative reaction every time. Now, why? You may say, why, do, why would we even worry about this? Why, why are we worrying about rejoicing and why are we worrying about being gracious to one another? Again, don't lose sight of the Greek word means to be gracious even when receiving an insult. He says in verse 5, you do this because the Lord is at hand. And he, he is not talking about the second coming here. He, he's actually talking about the om, uh, omnipotence, omnipresence of God. That the Lord Jesus Christ himself is ever present with us as he was with the Philippian believers. Look, we're in a mess We're in a mess individually, we're in a mess nationally, and I'm not sure Mr. Biden's going to fix that. don't believe he will, I don't believe Mr. Trump would have. But it doesn't change the presence of God. It doesn't change the fact that God is close in times of chaos, times of unrest, times of uncertainty. 
fact, in Matthew 28, 20, as Jesus is ascending, he says, I am with you always to the end of the age in America, regardless of who's sitting in the White House. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and save those of a crushed spirit. Psalm 23, 28, but for me, it is good to be near God. You see, the Philippians, in the midst of their conflict within the church family, it seems that some of them were forgetting the presence of Christ. They were forgetting that the Lord is present in all places and all times, and they were living as if, practically speaking, He didn't even exist. They weren't rejoicing, they weren't being gracious to one another, they were fighting, they were divisive, they were speaking ill of one another. And Paul says, be reminded that Christ is present. Let me read to you a quote. I read this this morning. It's by a writer by the name of Sam Gordon. Listen to what he said. He said this. He said, in the best of times, the Lord is with us. In the worst of times, the Lord is still with us. In every changing circumstance of life, in all seasons of life, He is a friend at all times. He is not only present when the sun shines. He is there when the tempest rages and it blows a hurricane. The weather makes no difference to the Lord Jesus Christ because He is always there. Paul says, by commandment, be filled with rejoicing. Those who find little to rejoice in are often those who have a very depleted opinion of who God is. They've lost view of who He is. His holiness, His omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. We're commanded to be filled with graciousness. It's a struggle for me. Maybe it is for you. But often we're not joyful and we're not gracious for the simple reason we're selfish. We want things our way. And if we don't feel like we got things as we deserve them or things didn't go the way that I think that they ought to be, then I lose my ability to rejoice and I lose my ability to be gracious. So in closing this morning, two questions. Are you truly able to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of your circumstances? Are you gracious, gentle to all people at all times? You see, joy, true joy, is Holy Spirit produced. It is an outworking of the Holy Spirit in my It's supernatural. Again, I think that's why Paul says it twice, because it's easy to be miserable, isn't it? It is for me. It's easy to complain, isn't it? It's easy to be discouraged. It's easy to gripe when things don't go my way. We need the Holy Spirit. This infusion of joy, Christ-centered joy. But we also understand that this kind of joy that Paul is talking about, and we see this in Paul's life, is deepened in trials. Here's my prayer. We'll get to this next week. 
My prayer for America is that we will be a people of prayer. Because maybe we've been too dependent on ourselves for too long. And trials deepens our joy. Recenters the reason for our rejoicing. Really, joy is motivated by a desire to obey God's word. Come back tonight, we'll talk about that one. And that I fear God more than I fear man. As one pastor I heard said through a message this week, I'm going to preach the truth to you because I fear God more than I fear you. I love it. Good for him. So rejoice and be gracious. Why? Well, the Lord is at hand, and this is God's will for your life. Live a life of rejoicing. Live a life that is filled with graciousness. Not just to your friends, not just to the people you like, but to everyone. Even those that insult you. Even those who speak ill of you. Even those who lie about you, curse against you. Whatever it may be, be gracious. And you know, humanly speaking, going back to that list I gave you some 40 minutes ago, we have a lot to be worried about. Humanly speaking. But when I turn my eyes toward Him and toward Christ, I have a lot to rejoice about because He's in control. He loves me, He'll never forsake me, and therefore He gives me the power to be gracious and to rejoice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this text, and it is by no accident that we landed here this morning. I don't know what's on everyone's hearts today. I don't know the mix of emotions that maybe people are going through right now, regardless of what the source of that may be. But Lord, help us to be people, empower us to be people who are filled with joy and filled with graciousness in such a way that we would show the world, the lost world in which we live, the power of the gospel. And Lord, may we be salt and light in this lost and dark world. I pray that you would use us for your glory, that you'd use us to show others the good news of Christ. And, and Lord, we pray that through the Holy Spirit, we would be those that are seen as people who are categorized as being people who rejoice and people who are gracious. We need your help to do that because it doesn't come naturally to most of us or any of us. And we need your spirit to, to empower us to do it. Dismiss us today with your blessing. Go before us as we live for you and serve you here in our community. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us.